I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know, there is a, we are the temple, you and I individually are, are the temple of the Holy Ghost, but we know that corporately together we also make up the body of Christ. And when we come together to the house of God and worship Him, there's something that takes place corporately as we see each other face to face that this doesn't take place when we're separate and individual and, and not face to face. I think it's... Uh, I'm so glad for the Scripture that says that if you draw near to God, He draws near to you. And I don't know about you, but for myself over the last number of weeks... Um, the preciousness of the anointing and what's been taking place here has been um, extremely valuable to me. And I trust it is to you as well. And um, when it costs you something to come, you're just going to get more out of it. Have you ever noticed that principle in your life? The thing that's free to you isn't nearly as valuable as the thing that costs you a whole lot. So what did it cost you to come this morning? I know somebody who it cost them their life. His name is Jesus. And He is here with us this morning. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's such an awesome verse. <laughs> no problem you ever come up against. You have to face in your own strength. No thing that could ever surprise you. Will you be there alone? So it's a, it's a good thing. Amen. This morning, um, John, if you would, put up Romans 8, verse 2 in the uh, New King James. Romans 8, 2, and we're going to just read it together maybe a few times. This has been a favorite verse of mine since this whole uh, virus of fear that's been going around the planet. And... Um, in Romans 8, verse 2, it brings us a simple truth that could very easily escape us. And so I've been making it my habit personally to meditate on this Scripture and to just constantly say it to myself and say it to my children. And, and just, you know, the Word of God, when you hear it in your ear, it causes faith to well up inside your spirit. Amen. That's what Romans 10 tells us. That faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Well, the Word of God. Not hearing what the media has to say. Not hearing all about the news. And so, um, instead of filling your... This is what I've actually made, been, been building the habit to do. When I find myself speaking the problem, I interrupt myself with this. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Let's read it again. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. There's a law of life in the planet today. Amen. A law of life that carries more authority than the law of sin and death. How many have had first-hand experience with the law of sin and death? Most of us, right? The rest of you are currently experiencing it because you're lying. <laughs> the law of sin and death seems 
Like it carries a lot of authority in the earth, if that's what you're looking at. But if you'll just change your focus a little bit over to the law of life that the Spirit gave to us in Christ Jesus, the Son of the living God, that law there supersedes, overrides, triumphs over the law of sin and death. And you no longer have to be in the yoke of sin and death, but you can be right over into the yoke. It's called His yoke. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's because He's in the yoke with you, He's pulling it with you, you're not on your own, right? He said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. That means if you stay hitched up with Jesus, you can just go along for the ride. Stay hitched. We're in Amish country. We can talk this way, right? Stay hitched with Jesus. You ever see the, the, the team of horses, you know, out in the field and they're pulling? Well, imagine the little donkey. Because some of us, that's what we are, you know. Some of you, it just takes longer to get it than others, you know. But imagine the little donkey in the yoke beside the big Belgian horse. Who do you think is doing the heavy lifting there? The big horse. And so, that's, we're, we're hooked to Jesus. And He's established the victory for us. And so this morning, it being resurrection morning, so this morning we are going to take a small look at the original virus that came into the... A disease so deadly nobody, nobody could escape it. A disease that had 100% death rate. And 100% chance of catching it. This particular disease, it came into the earth, this virus of sin and death, because that's what it is. It came into the earth back in the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve, we know the story of how they made the choice, Adam made the choice, Eve was deceived, but Adam deliberately made that choice and then from him it became contagious and spread to the whole earth. All of mankind has been infected with this virus of sin and of death. And the solution to this thing, the, it's not a vaccine. There's only one way to make this thing not operate in your body, and that's for you to die. And once it kills you, it no longer has authority over you. How do you like that? Great. For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So if you've been crucified with Christ, that means your death already happened 2,000 years ago. Are you listening? This whole thing for uh, this law of sin and death, the reason you've been set free from it, because you've already been there. In somebody carrying the name of Jesus. He suffered the physical death for you. He suffered the spiritual death for you. Corinthians tells us in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Maybe you can put it up on the board, John. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that He became sin for us. He made the one, this would be He being the Father, God, made the one, Jesus, who did not know sin. So Jesus had never sinned. Had never sinned, had never done anything wrong, had lived perfectly. And he didn't know sin. But the Father made him to be sin for us. Every sin you've ever committed, he became it those 2,000 years ago. 
Every sin that anybody in this house has ever committed or anyone you can think of, yes, including Hitler and Stalin, he became their sin. Now, the penalty for sin is a horrible thing. It's called death. And, and sin separates from the Father. And as Jesus hung there on that cross, he was made sin. You can put that back up. He was made sin for a reason so that you and I could be made his right standing with the Father, his righteousness. Righteousness is a word that's a little bit here sometimes to us. Maybe we've heard it so much if you've grown up in church. Maybe it's lost some of really what it means. But the, the most simple definition that I know how to give to you is a right standing before God. You being right. In God's eyes, you being right. No longer having that virus of sin on your life. And because you died those 2,000 years ago, because you've already been there spiritually, because Jesus was there spiritually, you know there's a reason it calls Him the firstborn from the dead? He had to become born again. When He was made sin, now there's a reason Jesus hung on that cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't just spouting out poetry. And if you read the account in Matthew, man, the earth got dark and some strange things happened. Shaking went on and, I mean, it was, everyone went running for cover and, I mean, the Roman guards even standing there, the centurion general, whatever he was, he's like, this guy really was the son of the living God. He was made sin so that we might become, that we might become the righteousness of God. Now it's up to us to accept it. To receive it. So in Matthew 28, I'm going to begin reading there and then we'll go to Isaiah. The original virus of sin and of death. In Matthew 28, this is resurrection morning in verse 1. It says, after the Sabbath, as the, now remember, the disciples, anyone who's had any hope in Christ as being the Messiah, as being the one to deliver them from Rome, um, all hope has been lost. The, the miracle worker, the way maker, the one that walked on water, the one that did the impossible, the one that did things nobody on the planet had ever done before had been killed. The unthinkable had happened in their mind. And it's now over. He's in the grave. We know where he's buried. And so, Sunday morning arrives. 28, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake. Because an angel, here's why the earthquake happened, because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning. His robe was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken from fear of him that they became like dead men. But the angel told the women, don't be afraid, because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. <laughs> he has been resurrected just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Can you imagine? These first 
preachers of the good news. Their hearts just exploding with joy and hope all over again. Jesus met them. (laughs) (laughs) Has He ever met you? If He hasn't, you can meet Him this morning. So how do I do that? Well, just invite Him. Say, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Master, and you'll encounter Him. Jesus met them and says, good morning, or, or rejoice, or be glad, or it's a, it's a greeting. They came up and took a hold of His feet <laughs> and worshipped Him. Then Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. I'll go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. Now if you would turn over to Isaiah chapter 33. So to what purpose? You know, we've already been covering it, but to what purpose was Jesus all of this happened? To what purpose? Why did the perfect spotless son of God have to come as a lamb and be slain for the whole world for our sins? Because justice had to be served. That's why. Justice had to be served in order for you and I so that we could have eternal life. Now, eternal life is not living forever. That certainly happens within eternal life. But eternal life, Jesus described it in John chapter 17 where He is praying. He's talking to the Father. And Jesus said that eternal life is to know the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what eternal life is. It's a relationship. It's having the life. The Zoe life of God. He is life. And having that relationship with Him and having that within you will certainly cause you to live forever. But having the relationship with God the Father, with His Son Jesus Christ, that's how Jesus describes eternal life. And we know that that's why Jesus came. In, in, I'll just quote it to you in 1 John 3 and verse 8. It says that the Son of God came for this purpose. That right there is where our ears should prick right up and go, what? What's the purpose? He came for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. I mean, that's the verse. If you ever find yourself in the devil's house, put it on his fridge. I mean, figuratively speaking. When you're in that bad place and it feels like the destroyer's at your door, that's the verse you pull out and say, hey there, fellow. This one here is written about you. And I've been given His authority over you. The Son of God came for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Now, what was His works? Well, it all started, it's, it's that virus we were talking about, the virus of sin and death. To destroy it. And man, it got destroyed. In Isaiah 33, listen to this. In verse 8, the highways are deserted. Travel has ceased. An agreement has been broken. Cities despised. Well, they're full of people and they carry that virus all over. And human life disregarded. Sounds like today, doesn't it? I mean, a whole lot like today. It's amazing. The land mourns and withers. Lebanon is ashamed and decayed. Sharon is like a desert. Bashan and Carmel shake off their leaves. Now I will rise up, says the Lord. Now I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted. You will conceive chaff. You will give birth to stubble. Your breath is fire that will consume you. The peoples will be burned to ashes like thorns cut down and burned in a fire. You who are far off, hear what I have done. You who are near, know my strength. 
The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling seizes the ungodly. Who among us can dwell with a consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with an ever-burning flames? You know, God has called a consuming fire. A consuming fire. And being aware of that virus of sin in your life will cause you to tremble and be afraid like these were here. And there's only one cure for it, and that you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live in any condemnation for it. You don't have to be afraid to approach the flame of God. You know, if, if He is a consuming fire, as He says, which He is, I have here a torch for demonstration purposes. Hear that on my mic, you know, singe my beard off. So that fire would consume things if we'd put it up to things, right? It's a hot fire. It's not just a match. It's a torch. Now, you and I are this vessel right here. And you and I, when we have that virus of sin in us, are, are like being filled with gasoline. Why would it be dangerous to bring something that is full of gasoline next to a consuming fire? It would blow up. It 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 not only burn up all the, the sin, the gasoline, it also destroy the container. And probably hurt people all around it too. See, that's what sin does in our life. Sin will destroy. Sin will hurt. You know why God hates sin? Because it hurts people. And He loves people. He designed them to be like Him. He designed them to be in His image and to be an image bearer, image maker like Himself. And then when they get filled up with sin, it separate, He has to separate from them. He could no longer be in fellowship with them because being that close is going to destroy them without first dealing with the gasoline, the sin problem in the vessel. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us why don't we just turn over there? Hebrews chapter 12. It likens back when the children of Israel were in the desert and God like a consuming fire came down upon the mountain. Scared them like crazy. There is fire and smoke and there's a number of different places in Scripture that talk about it. And in verse 18, he's talking now to the church, to believers, to you and I, in chapter 12 and verse 18 of Hebrews, For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm. So you didn't come to the mountain like the children of Israel were out there in the desert, to something that you're seeing with your natural eye. No, it's something else. If you look down to verse 22, it says, Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem to myriads of angels in festive gathering, to the church of the firstborn. That's the assembly of the firstborn. To the church of the first, the assembly of the firstborn, whose names have been written in heaven, to God who is the judge of all. You don't have to fear the judge if your name is in his book. If He was made sin so that we could be made His right standing, if the sin was taken out of the gasoline, I mean, if, if the sin, the gasoline was taken out of the container, then it no longer is something that would frighten us, is it? 
If the sin is removed from the vessel, you and me, we could approach the living Lord, we could be in His very presence, and not have to be concerned at all about what will happen. Let's keep reading. Jesus, being the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel, see that you do not reject the one who speaks, for if they did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, even less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. Verse 26, his voice shook the earth at that time. That was on the mountain there, out in the desert. His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Going to shake the top and the bottom this time. Now this expression yet once more indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. Well, what is not shaken? Well, let's keep reading. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, the kingdom, that's the king's domain, where the king rules and reigns, the kingdom, that cannot be shaken, let us, Someone say, that's me. me. Let us hold on to grace. Grace is God's ability coming to help you. Something you didn't deserve. Let us hold on to grace by it. By how? By that grace that God gives us. We may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. So many people, um, they read here in Romans chapter 3, I hear them quote Romans 3 verse 10, and then they just stop. And they think they've really accomplished and said something. And it always bugs me. Because you're only saying the worst part of the story. You're not saying the good news. Here in Romans 3.10, it says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. And woe is us. And we're all just low, rotten sinners. Is what is implied and is what is usually taught at this point. And I'm here to tell you it's a lie unless you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. If you've never received the blood of Jesus that cleanses you from all sin. In 1 John 1.9 it says that He is just, and if we confess our sins, He will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all sin, all wrongness. None of it left out. So don't let, do not believe the lie that you're just a dirty, rotten sinner. No, you are called the assembly of the firstborn. You are called the church of the living Lord. You are called His saints. You are called sons of the Most High. Not sinners anymore. Not ain'ts. Saints. Right? A saint is someone who serves the Lord. Let's go down to verse 21. Now here's the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would have said. For those of you that don't know who Paul Harvey is, well, you just have to Google it. Verse 21. But now, someone say now. But now, apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. That is, God's righteousness, God's rightness. Is God wrong at all? Okay, so God's rightness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 
since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a propitiation. That's an atoning victim. Someone who took your place. Through faith in His blood to demonstrate His righteousness. His rightness. He did it to to show off His rightness. Because in His restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. He presented Him to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time. So that He would be righteous and declare righteous the one who had faith in Jesus. And if we took the time, we could read in in Romans 5 verses 12 to the end of the chapter and it would talk about how sin, that virus of sin, came into the earth and but through that first man, Adam, how he let it in. But then the last man, Jesus Christ, right, came and dealt with with the whole thing. And you know, Jesus did not resurrect Himself. He died in faith, believing that the Father would do what He said He would do. And you can, you can look this up, run your reference, run your concordance, but again and again when it talks about Jesus being raised from the dead, it will say this explicitly, and God has raised Him from the dead. It never says Jesus raised Himself from the dead. God raised Him from the dead. Why? Because Jesus had been made sin. He couldn't raise Himself anymore. He couldn't do a miracle anymore. He had to rely on the Father to reach and, and do that. And the Father did. And Jesus took His blood and presented it in heaven... On the mercy seat. There's a real mercy seat somewhere. We're going to get to see it someday. Presented his blood there. And the price was paid. Done. Finished. That blood testifies to a new covenant. To better things. That blood establishes that new covenant. That blood absolutely will outlast any sin you and I ever created. Did you know that righteousness does not come in waves? Righteousness does not come by degrees or levels. You cannot level up in righteousness. Come on. It has been established. It has been set. The bar has been put at the level of Jesus. Of God Himself. His righteousness. And you and I have to get this awareness into our spirit, into our being, that I am the rightness of God. That this is not something I'm earning. This is not something that I somehow level up in or or am at this degree or this degree. But that I am at His righteousness. He established the level. This will cause you to be free from fear in your life. This will cause you to be completely free of condemnation. This This understanding will give you boldness like you've not experienced before. A boldness that, man, you just come right into the throne room. You don't even have to knock, the, knock on the door. None of this storming the gates of heaven. Come on, we're not enemies outside the city. We're allowed into the room where He sits, the throne room. And you come in boldly when you need mercy and help. That means if you need mercy, that means there are going to be times that you messed up. And that you sinned and you have to come to the Father and talk to Him about it. And did you know that you haven't? That's the courtroom of heaven. But here's the best news I can tell you this morning. In that courtroom, you have an attorney, and his name is Jesus. And he stands there to make intercession for you. Actually, the word says he sits, (laughs) he sits on the throne, right? To make intercession for you. He ever lives to make intercession for you and I. That means that every sin that you bring to the Father, 
Jesus is there. Your attorney. This one here has been dealt with. The book here says it's dealt with. Right here is his name. It's not held to his account. Now, if you want to be a rebellious little sheep and run away, you can, you can forfeit your salvation, okay? Don't misunderstand me this morning. And that's a different sermon that we recently preached a series. You can go back into the archives and find it about repentance and about how repentance is a gift from the Lord and that we are to repent, right? This morning, I want you to grab a hold of your righteousness before the Father. You're right standing in His presence. Because of this, let's go to Luke chapter 3. Actually, no, you go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians. How do you like this fire burning all the time? Some of you think I've forgotten about it. My God is a consuming fire. And when you realize that He dealt with the gasoline in the container, the sin in the person, you don't have to be afraid to approach Him. You don't have to be concerned about you getting ruined and everyone around you getting ruined. Before we read in Ephesians, I'll just read something to you that John the Baptist said about Jesus. He said, I baptize with water, but the one who's coming after me is greater than I am. And he's going to baptize you. That means immerse you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And with fire. Meaning that that sin problem is dealt with. You don't have to be concerned about holding the flame right over that person. And look at that. They become a light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He made the statement, He said, I am the light of the world. But He also said, you are. So that you are to be. What Jesus started, you and I are now supposed to carry on, right? We're supposed to do. We can get the fire trucks out here this morning. See, when oil is in there, the oil of the Holy Spirit, I will fill them with oil and with fire. Now there's no longer an incompatibility between you and a holy, righteous Father. But there's only a like image, like holding a mirror up to Him. And you are to reflect Him. And now you can be a light, you can be a flame, and what happens if we bring another lamp over here? It gets lit. And then it gets lit. And then another one and another. And that's, that's what we do. That's who we are, right? This is how Jesus made it possible for us to have eternal life. That fire being the light within us. Remember the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them and it appeared like fire. I don't think it was actually fire, but it looked like fire. Came in tongues of flame, came and rested upon him. See, God is still a consuming fire. And you ask, well, how come I turned the torch out? You know, He's still a consuming fire. But you and I, or His light in the earth. When people see this, they're supposed to understand who that is. The body of Christ in the earth. That's the image of the Lord. That's a reflection of Him. That carries on the work that Jesus started. Alright, Ephesians 2. Did you find it? Verses 12. We'll start at verse 12. At that time, you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, with no hope and without God in the world. Now, if we would shut our Bibles and go home there, we could all just be sad. Verse 13 says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. For He is our peace. He is our peace. 
The chastisement for our peace. The punishment, the price for you and I's peace was put upon Him is what it says in Isaiah. So you and I can be confident in peace. Knowing that it doesn't matter the wind or the waves or the enemy or the lion or the virus that's out there. Because I have, I've got inside information. I've got diplomatic immunity. And when I find myself in the middle of some of these problems, because Jesus said that you would. He said, man, no guys, you're going to face some problems in life. But be of good cheer. I've overcome them. He always gives us the victory, is what Scripture says. So there's never a time where there is this one here, you just have to go ahead and be an undercomer. Right? I mean, I know there's no such word, but there is from now on. You can be an overcomer or an undercomer. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up with to go there and then maybe two more places. I've asked... Um, Sean Tobias to share with us his testimony. Obviously, he could probably talk to us all day yeah. about it because he, the Lord has done wondrous things for him. And, but I've asked him to uh, limit his time. And, um, and then we're going to also take communion together. And for, because John, all of us have a story. You know, the other night at our home group, we stood around and we told each other about the first time that we made Jesus the Lord of our lives. I would encourage you to ask people that. I mean, like your family, at your home group or whatever. Ask them or downstairs today. Tell me about when you made Jesus the Lord of your life. How did that happen? What did it look like? Because it will encourage you. That's their testimony. That's how we overcome is reminding ourselves of these things. 1 John 3 and in verse 1. Look how great a love the Father has given us. That we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. God's love for us so great that we get, and we are. It's not something we're going to be someday. It's not something that hopefully, eventually, if we live good enough, none of that stuff. The blood of Jesus makes you His child. Verse 2, dear friends, we are God's children now, he says. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. I talked about holding up a mirror in front of him. That's what we're going to look like. Because we will see him as he is. So we don't know yet how all this is going to look. We don't know yet what all we're going to be. We have a tiny glimpse of it. Paul said we see through a glass darkly. We, we, we see the shape of an image. But we can know with confidence how it, how it begins. Let's go to chapter 4. I, in verse 17, it says, see, you can see the verse before it says that God is love. Okay? He is love. In this, love is perfected with us, so or completed with us, so that we may have boldness or confidence in the day of judgment. So when the day of judgment arrives and the torch comes near, the consuming fire, you're not full of gasoline. There's no fear there. Just, oh goody, I get to cozy up with the Father and I'm going to burn even brighter. So you can have confidence in the day of judgment, for we are as He is in the world. Well, how is He in the world? Well, He's ruler. 
I mean, doesn't it say in Ephesians? We didn't read the verse, but in chapter 2, we're going to be seated with Him. Seated with Him. We are as He is in the world. Wow. Completely right. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. See, no fear of judgment. No torment of judgment. We still maintain the fear of the Lord. The awe of the Lord, we could say. But we don't have a fear of of judgment. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves torment. We don't have to be tormented with fear. If you walk after the Spirit, you won't have condemnation. If you have condemnation, put the sin, take the sin to the Father, acknowledge it, change. That's what the word repent means. Change from it. Don't keep doing it. Change. And you can Hold your head up high because He's called you by name. He's redeemed you. You are His. With His, you belong to Him. Colossians 1.27 And the rest of us can turn to Isaiah 32. You know, fire burns chaff. You and I ought to welcome because it does nothing but clog up the artery, stop life from flowing freely, and get all of that stuff cleaned out. Burn brightly for the Lord. Colossians 1.27 Actually, let's start, um, let, let's start in the previous verse. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Now here's what the mystery is. Is Christ in you? The hope of glory. This word hope isn't wishful thinking. It means confident expectation. Christ in you. The confident expectation of glory. Christ in you. The fire of God in you. The Spirit of the living Lord in you. Your spirit being reborn, recreated, renewed. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and has been raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved, is what Scripture says. That means Christ in you. The hope of the confident expectation of glory. And this isn't just the confident expectation of going to glory. This is the confident expectation of glory here now. The confident expectation that, Father, Your will be done here now in, on the earth as it is in heaven. Is there viruses in heaven? No. So then when we pray, Your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven, that's how Jesus taught them to pray. And we're praying the will of the Father from heaven onto the earth. Confident expectation of glory. That Jesus being glorified. And that as you are His ambassador, reconciling people to the Father, you're dealing with all kinds of things that are coming your way from sickness and disease and attacks and demonic spirits and all these things, but you are as He is in the world and reigning with Him, carrying His authority, His ambassador in the earth. None of those things move you because you have the authority. And out of that something comes. Let's read in in Isaiah 32 and verses 15. I'll begin. Before this, it's talking about the forsaken place. and and, Well, actually, let's skip over to 33 where I had stopped reading about Him being, the Lord being a consuming fire. In verse 15 of 33, it says, The one who lives righteously 
and speaks rightly, who refuses gain from extortion, whose hand never takes a bribe, who stops his ear from listening to murderous plots, and shuts his eyes to avoid endorsing evil, he will dwell on the heights, his refuge will be the rocky fortresses, his food provided, his water assured, your eyes will see the king in his beauty, you will see a vast land, and he goes on, and if you keep reading, verse 22 says, the Lord is our refuge, the Lord is our lawgiver, remember I said he's our attorney, He's our lawgiver. He's our judge. He's our king. He will save us. See, we can just be confident in that. And this isn't talking about just in heaven. Romans 5.17 says that we will reign in life as kings. Not in heaven, in the future. It's saying now. We will reign in life. Now, let's go back to verse chapter 32 where I started. In verse 15. Now, just before this, he's talking about, you know, an abandoned city and all these things, barren forests and places. And all. Verse 15, this is going to be that way. Until the Spirit from heaven is poured out on us, then the desert will become an orchard, and the orchard will seem like a forest. Man, apple trees, cherry trees so thick, it's like a forest. Just food deed as far as you can see. Then justice will inhabit the wilderness and righteousness. Someone say Righteousness. That's right standing before the Father. Rightness. God's rightness. And righteousness will dwell in the orchard. The work or the result of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quiet confidence forever. That unshaken kingdom. Unshakable kingdom that we read about. That's quiet confidence. Knowing man, my feet, They've grown roots into the rock. And the storm that collapses the house built on sand doesn't move me. Then my people will dwell in a peaceful place and in a safe and restful dwelling. John, would you come? The quiet confidence that comes from righteousness means there's an absence of fear. There's an abundance of love because that's the mark of how we're known is love. Being able to be free from the past and stand in God's rightness is an amazing thing. While John is sharing his testimony, um, we have 15 minutes. So what we're going to do is, uh, while he's sharing the testimony, maybe uh, they can do that now. The ushers can pass out the communion elements and uh, just hang on to them. And when John is finished, we'll take communion together. Actually, you do that. You, uh, you lead us in communion and then we'll close. 15 minutes? Yeah. Hey Siri, set a reminder in 15 minutes to stop talking. Once, once I get going, sometimes I just can't stop. Good morning, it's great to be here. It was nice to see the kids this morning, wasn't it? That was awesome. It reminded me when I was eight years old, I accepted the Lord and uh, learned about Him through uh, the Baptist Church. Um, those that know me know that for the last uh, several years I've been uh, working with uh, men that just get out of prison and uh, showing them the way to the Lord. Uh, about two years ago, um, the Lord asked me to go into a, a Christian home, halfway house for men that are uh, locked, have been locked up for a long time for um, sex crimes, sexual offenders. And when he asked me to go, my first response was, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. I don't want to go there. Because even, like, even from my own experience, 
being locked up over the years and different things that I'd done, you know, the, the sex offenders were always considered to be the lowest of the low, the scum of the scum. Even in the prisons, nobody wanted to hang out with these people. They actually targeted these people. And now the Lord's asking me to go talk to these people and share the good news of God. And I said no for about a year and a half. And every time I drove by that place, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, I'd like you to go there. I don't think so. I don't think I want to go there. Um, And then about a year and a half, my buddy Larry here asked me to go to this breakfast thing. And we went to the breakfast, and it was the breakfast for that house. And I met some of the guys. I said, all right, fine. I felt, all right, the Lord's been dealing with me long enough. Okay, I'll go. And when I started going, I've been doing that for about two years. The average guy in there has done anywhere between 10 to 20 to 30 years. And I'm just meeting them. They just got out yesterday or last Wednesday. But it's a Christian house, and most of the guys that come there, they volunteer to go there. They want to go there. Because really, you know, when you're, when you're labeled a sex offender for the rest of your life, and everywhere you go, you got to register, and every job application you get, and every apartment you uh, apply for, that follows you for the rest of your life. And so I'm, in my mind, it's like, you know what? My, the Lord changed my heart. Who needs Jesus more than these guys? The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, any man, any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. I know for me, when I go in there, I can connect with these guys real easy and really fast because I spent over three years incarcerated in some form or another. Most everybody knows a little bit about my past. I like to do drugs. I like to run around. I like to steal cars. I like to get in trouble. I thought I was good at it. I thought I was slick. I've been arrested more times than I can remember. <laughs> and, I, and I seriously mean it. I've been arrested more times than I can remember. I can't count how many times it's been. I think it's over t- between 20 and 30 times. I'm not sure. But the last time I was arrested, I ended up, you know, drugs and partying, all that lifestyle. We all know that. You know, the devil comes to to steal, to kill, and destroy. And that kind of lifestyle really does steal. It steals from you, and it rips things away from you. And it's not like, oh, it just took away. Anything it takes, it it leaves claw marks, and it just rips it right out of you. you. You lose your friends. You lose your job. You lose your family. Eventually, you lose your own moral code. You start doing things you said you would never do before. Then you lose your life. I got three kids. All three of them were taken away. My oldest boy was taken away for, uh, my mom took him and raised him. My second boy was taken away at six months. The state said, you're not fit to be a parent. And they put him up for adoption. Never saw him again. My daughter, her mom, after all the stuff I put her through, just decided, you know what? You're never going to see this kid again. I ended up inside a cell by myself. And then I remembered the God that I met when I was a little boy in the Baptist church. God, can you please help me? I don't want to live like this anymore. And things started happening. Doors started to open. And I came to Lancaster. I've never heard of Lancaster before. And I started trying to live my life and stay off drugs and stay off alcohol and do the right thing and pray every day. And trust in the Lord. And uh, my life got better. Um, But over time, I would call my ex and ask her, can I please, can I see my daughter? 
And every time I did, she would read me the laundry list. You did this. You do that. You stole from my mother. You cheated on me. You'll never see this daughter again. Ever. But I call her in again like a year later. It's been two years. It's been three years. I haven't had a drink. I'm not doing drugs. It's been five years. Can I please see my daughter? You you did this. You did that. You did it. And every time those accusations would come, they would just pierce my heart. And I would, I would shriek, please, no. I know. I know I did those things. Please, I'm sorry. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be a good man. I'm trying to be righteous. Can we put up Romans 10, 1 through 3, please, in King James? Is that possible? I'll read it to you. Brethren, my heart's desiring prayer to God for Israel that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about trying to establish their own righteousness. I thought my problems over the years was faith. I didn't have enough faith. But my problem was righteousness. It wasn't my faith as I didn't realize or take my righteousness. Wow. So if I start crying, I didn't take my righteousness by faith. I walked around with this condemnation in my head that I just didn't measure up. I would go to prayer to the Lord and it was like something was lacking and I didn't measure up. And it was like there was different classes of righteousness, like on an airplane. Larry and his wife might have first-class righteousness. And Josh and his wife might have business-class righteousness. Me, I was up in the back of the plane, up against the bathroom with some other fat guy. And we're being really quiet and keeping our head down. Maybe nobody will notice, and they won't kick us off the plane. I didn't realize that, that righteousness is by faith. It's, I, I thought that it was the goody-goody way I acted. If I, I could just be good enough, then God will accept me. But he started giving me a revelation years ago about what righteousness really is and that, and that it's, it's transferred on. Jesus took our sins and transferred onto us his righteousness. So, so we're back in fellowship with God. When did we become righteous? When you were born again. Did you work for righteousness? You can't. It's the gift of God. But you got to walk in it. You can't say I'm righteous and be walking unrighteously. You got to take that righteousness by faith. It's not by what you do. It was such a revelation. And this is what I preach to those men every week, week after week after week. Because I know they're walking around with condemnation in their head for what they did. People are going to be accusing them for the rest of their life. And so unless you can take your righteousness by faith and say, God makes me right. The blood of Jesus makes me right with God. It's not about what I did, what I did. If I can forget who I was and remember who I am. And if you can ever let the righteousness of God come out of you separate from the law. The law ain't got nothing to do with it. Once you you know you're righteous, you stand there. Faith flows. I know I'm right with God. Peace flows. Joy flows. 
like a river. And for me, that was the key. God had me stuck on this for a long time. We go and we learn other things. He does other things. But we keep coming back to that. So a couple weeks ago, I had a, a chance to, uh, my ex, the one that was just assault me with my past. Um, I haven't talked to her in about 14 years. I've been reunited with my kids through a miraculous uh, move of God. I've been their dad for 17 years. I talked to this woman just because a small crack opened up. She wanted to say something to me. I said, okay. And at first, you know, just a couple of pleasantries. How you doing? Glad. Hope everything's all right. But let me tell you, you did this and you stole from my mom and you cheated on me and you da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And what used to make me cower and crumble as a man, I just stood there, calm, not defiant, not angry, just calm, in the shadow of the Almighty, in my robe of righteousness. Say amen to that. And you ever see Superman, like in the movies, when they come out of a machine gun and it just bounces off, pow, 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 pow. And it was coming at me and it couldn't touch me. It couldn't touch me. Because I know I'm right with God. Did I do those things? I'm not denying that those things happen. But I'm a new creature in Christ. That person doesn't live here anymore. I, the old man has died. I've put on Christ. So I just encourage you, if you're walking around and you feel condemned, you feel like you're just not measuring up, and there's better Christians than you. That's just a lie from the devil. The next time, here, let's look at, real fast, hold on. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment you shall condemn. So when you go to pray to God, and he's sitting there, and he's like, who are you trying to kid? You remember what you did. You remember how you treated your mama. You remember what you did last week. You say, shut up, devil. And you hit this road. Right? You see what I'm saying? And you got to take it. And, and you have to have it as a weapon. And you have to draw it quick like a shooter in the old west. Shabam. You know what I'm saying? So you meditate on these things. You get it in your heart. And, and God gives you a revelation of it. And you can walk in righteousness. But Lord told me that this is what he wanted me to share. I was like, really? Are you sure? And then when you started sharing, I said, I guess that's what you do want me to share. <laughs> it's good to be here. Um, we're going to take communion. I try to have communion quite a bit at my house. Um, just re- Lord says to do this as often as you gather together. Um, thanks. I'm really thirsty. I don't need to. Come here, sweetie. Yeah, give, give one to my wife. Does, does everybody got the elements? Come, come up here, sweetie. 1028. I'm going to silence this phone before that reminder starts going off. So the night before Jesus was killed for our sins, he said, this is his body that was broken for us. And when I take communion, I try to think in my head and visualize the pain and the suffering that he went through in my place.
for my place, for my peace and my health and my restoration. I, I, I meditate on this because I want to take it worthily. I used to think worldly meant if there's anything wrong with me, if there's any condemnation going, you shouldn't be taking it. And so for years I didn't take it. But then I realized, no, that's not true. I am the righteousness of God. To take it worldly means I'm going, I'm going to remember. I'm going to call to remembrance what Christ has done for me. I'm going to take it in worthy and respect for him. So his body was broken for us. He said, take this, eat my body. In the name of Jesus, let's eat. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for newness of life. And then he took the cup. He said, this is the blood which I shed for the remissions of sin for the whole world. And when I take this, I think of Jesus hanging on the cross and the blood just pouring off of his body, pouring, just pooling around the foot of that cross. How much blood was lost and shed for me? And I take it and I thank you and I take it with a grateful heart, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for everything you've done for me so I could be right with the Father. Let's drink in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Father God, we praise you. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you, Jesus, for newness of life. We thank you that your spirit comes into our body, Lord, that you make us righteous, that there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you protect us and that no plague shall come near our dwelling. Lord, we thank you for all that you shall provide all our needs in this weird time that we're going through right now. We pray that we can be the light to the world today in this dark time, Lord God, that we can stand up and shine. We don't have to fight back the darkness. We just got to shine. In the name of Jesus, we thank you and praise you. Amen. Isn't God wonderful? Good morning. morning. (laughs) On this beautiful day that the Lord has made. A happy, blessed resurrection Sunday morning. What a moment in history, in the history of mankind that was. And we put ourselves in remembrance this Sunday of that moment where God the Father raised up his son Jesus as the firstborn among many brethren. Amen. What an exciting moment to put into remembrance as uh, we are the other many brethren that have followed the first brethren, Jesus. Amen. In uh, Habakkuk, the last three sentences, Pastor Sid was sharing this, and it's so relevant for today because there's so many unknowns. But it says, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Kind of, yeah, a little bit going on there. Verse 18, Yet, you look at all that, and you say, Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. See, there's that free will. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength 
and he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon my high places see that meditation of your heart the declaring of your mouth it sets the course of the nature of your day doesn't it i will rejoice in the lord my god doesn't matter what's going on around you you get to choose to rejoice amen well let's stand up together as family in the house of god and let's rejoice in the lord this very special morning the name of Jesus. We celebrate Jesus this day. We celebrate him every moment of our life. Father, we're so grateful for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that's here on the earth today. We thank you for your very presence in this place this morning. So filled with the joy of the Lord. So filled with the peace that passes all understanding just look around look at you brothers and sisters in the Lord celebrating this precious gift of salvation we are truly the most blessed people on the face of the earth so turn to your neighbor and say I'm so glad you're here today we celebrate the life of Jesus with one another what a great privilege and an honor thank you Lord Jesus thank you for your faithfulness and obedience Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So could we have the juniors and the elementary children come up front? I think they've been working very hard for something they want to give to us this morning. And the preschool are going to stay in for now and then just, okay. Good morning, everybody. Happy Resurrection Day. It is so good to be here with all of you and the beautiful sun that was shining this morning. This is our elementary and junior classes. Um, this is part of them. Not everybody is here today. Uh, but every month they work on verses and they do this and they say them and they get prizes and rewards. Um, but this morning we wanted to share the verses that they've been learning so hard over the last couple of years to learn. So um, we're going to start with our elementary class and then we're going to move up to our juniors which starts at Ariel and these are all of our older guys. So the first thing we'd like to do is just share the word with all of you. Do you remember? Yes. Never let loyalty and kindness leave. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. But, but God demonstrated his own love towards us that while he was still sin, Christ died for us, Romans 
John 16, 30, when the friend comes, the spirit of truth will take you by the hand and lead you into all the truth there is. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourself. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Philippians 2, 3, 4. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. For the word of the Lord remains forever, and that word, the good news, does preach to you, First Peter one twenty-five. Philippians four four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. John. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John three seventeen. For he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Genesis one one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I like this verse because it it means a lot to me. Because no matter how much people say the Big Bang or evolution created the earth, God created the earth, not the Big Bang. Remember. So, so good. Thank you guys. You did so good. They have been diligent and faithful, and part of that comes from your help at home. So, thank you for being a part of instilling the word in your children's lives. Wow, that was awesome, guys. (laughs) I am overwhelmed. It is such a privilege to be here. Isn't it? Isn't it precious? Something not to be taken for granted, for sure. And as we return our tithes to the Lord this morning, I want to just take a moment and remind ourselves who we're trusting in. You know, where, where have you placed your trust? What are, we, what are you looking to? And the reason that we reflect on this now is because tithing is an outward demonstration of an inward belief that God is my source. It's one of the ways we demonstrate that we trust him. And so I want to read to you from Psalms 146, verse 3 through verse 7. It says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. There is only one man in whom there is salvation. When his breath departs, human man, he returns to the earth. On that very day his plans perish. Blessed is he, and now many translations say happy, My translation says blessed, but I do think happy is a better translation because when you look up this word in the original, it brings out to be made happy, to make happy. So happy is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. So our, our trust is in the Lord. We're not putting it in man. You know, our deliverance is not from our president. Our deliverance is not from the government. Your husband is not your source or your provider. You know, God can use these natural channels to get provision to you. But we look past that human being. We look past the horizontal and we know who our source truly is, where the help truly comes from. 
Verse 5 says, happy is he whose help is the God of Jacob. And in Proverbs 16:20 also reiterates that, says, happy is the man who trusts in the Lord. Do you want to be happy? Would you like to be happy? Well, then you need to trust in the Lord. You need some happiness. Trust. See, when you trust God, there's a surrender. There is a yielding up of, you know, I can't figure this out on my own. There is a yielding up of, hey, the pressure's not on me. So you got to let go. You got to let God, all right? And realize, I mean, just keep reading here. He made heaven and earth, all right? Justice comes from him. He's the one that is providing food. So he's handling it. He's got it. You don't have to figure, isn't that just a relief to know the pressure's not on you? So we trust him, all right? Has he promised anything to the tither? Has he promised he'd open the windows of heaven? And you know, that is just as true today as it was when it was written in Malachi. He keeps faith forever. So if he said it then, if it was true then, it's true now. So let's just understand, God takes care of us. He's promised it, and let's believe him for it. Amen? All right. Let's take a hold of our tithes, and let's pray over that. Father, we are so grateful to you this morning. It's such a joy to be here and in your presence. And Father, we just return our tithe with joy to you and with grateful hearts that you have provided for us and that you are providing for us. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you keep faith forever. We put you in remembrance of your word. We put you in remembrance of your covenant, your promise to the tither. And I thank you, Lord, that the people's bank accounts are full and sufficient and every need is met in the name of Jesus. And amen. Amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets and the people will give to the Lord. Last night, maybe some of you know, maybe you don't know, I'm here to tell you, we are having, um, the church doors are open for prayer on Saturday nights from 6 to 8, and that's been going on maybe the last three Saturday nights, and so I just want to make you all aware of that. Um, I invite you to join us. It's a come and go as you please kind of thing, and it has been precious. Um, I was able to be there last night, I think Sydney's been there a couple times, and I would encourage you to come. And if you're not there, if you're not able to come, be in prayer, be in earnest prayer. There is something precious about our time last night, you know, face to face, no agenda, no, it doesn't have to look a certain way, but you know, we prayed in the spirit, we prayed in English, we sang in the spirit, we sang in English, and there was just a beauty there and a oh, presence of the Lord. And that's how you break through. So I would encourage you, um, be a part of it and be praying at home if you're not able to be there.